Welcome back to Bushko Uncorked. Those of you listening would not have seen, but I did a countdown with my hands. Uh, Greg, I wanted you to know to wait the full five seconds so that our podcast uh, producer, Faith, would know that we did our part in making sure the audio was right this week. Trying our best. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Um, it's Believe it or not, we've only been gone two weeks. If you were to be following us live or on the podcast, uh, which it's been a long two weeks, Greg. Um, in terms of a political world, it might have been 50 years comparative to the amount of news we might have gotten 50 years ago. I mean, it's actually hard to remember the state of mind I was in two weeks ago because so many things have changed. But it's it's slightly more normal. A bit, bit, no, more than slightly. It's it's more normal. Now. It's much more normal. Yeah. Um, I have, I think as we're going to talk about uh, much more optimism than two weeks ago um, with some remaining concerns, but as usual, I'm your host, uh, co-host Justin Bullock. And with me as always, almost always, you missed the last two episodes. No, um, just the and, last one. Come on. Well, one, well, one, and we did, we did a non-traditional episode. Oh, I, uh, missed, I didn't even invite you to, I don't think. I, I missed the non-traditional. Yeah. I missed the non-traditional, but I'm a fairly traditional guy. <laughs> you know, I was actually, uh, on that note, I was getting ready for the podcast and I was brushing my hair. And I have long hair now, uh, for those of you that are seeing us on video, but not in oh. audio. And you know, my actual thought, Greg, was, was that one of the, one of the, one other thing that I've done that you will never do. Oh yes, you. You will you, never have. You got the man bun. Tail. You have the man bun. <laughs> I do have the man bun, and I would be willing to bet my entire future life savings that you never grow a man bun. Is uh, that fair? Uh, yes, you, you, you would not lose. <laughs> Although I'm, I, my hair is about as long as it's been since. Uh, you know, since college, it's because uh, I'm afraid to go to the barber. I uh, yeah. We'll talk about COVID later, but uh, I I I wake up every morning and I go, God, I wish I could get my hair cut. And then I look at the case <laughs> numbers and I say, I don't think I'm going to get my hair cut. Yeah, I have not been able to uh, justify getting a hair cut either. But I was really just looking for an excuse to have long hair, anyways. Um, <laughs> well, this is this is where you and I part. <laughs> well, uh, it's good to see you, Greg. Um, and it looks like we have a, a couple of viewers this evening. We already have a comment. Um, someone looking forward to the discussion. It's actually one of my students. So thanks for being here. Um, we're excited to share our thoughts with you as well. And uh, Greg, I guess a couple of things to get us started. This is our last episode of the year 2020. And, Thank uh, well, God. <laughs> that was exactly what the I was going to say. <laughs> I will be so happy to see the end of 2020. I will be so happy to see the end of 2020. What a horrible, um, will... terrible, no good, very bad <laughs> year. <laughs> and you know what's funny is I think it might end with injury to insult. I was talking um, with KAGS today and they were asking me about uh, some of the benefits expiring at the end of the year. Um, and so far, as you know, we, uh, although there was some breaking news today that we might have a bipartisan plan, but as of right now, there is, there's no plan to extend the Families First Act, to extend the unemployment benefits, and these things affect like half of the workforce, and it's right at Christmas, and um, it's just, my, my comment to the reporter was that this is just a, a Scrooge effect. Yeah. 
at the yeah. end of a terrible 2020. We're just adding insult to injury at the end of the year by taking away benefits from those experiencing the worst consequences of the pandemic. Well, if we had somebody in the White House besides the Grinch, maybe maybe uh, it'd be different. Well, but he's so, you know I'll I'll I'll. I'll no, no holds barred anymore, right? I think we're past that, Greg. This guy has abdicated. He's once he lost, he just decided he wasn't going to do the job anymore. And it's and and the people who suffer are the people who whose benefits are going to run out the end of the year. I, you know, somebody's got to steamroll McConnell, and I'll, I'll grant you. And we're we're getting into it now, right? <laughs> that I I think Pelosi hardballed it before the election because she didn't want to give Trump a win. I think I think accurate, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or 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 at least or at least she bid up her position to a point where if she was going to give Trump a win, she was going to get everything that she wanted. And he wasn't going to give it to her, obviously. But now we're at a point where I think that you could get a bipartisan trillion dollar stimulus deal. Uh, you know, not the two trillion that the House that the House Democrats wanted, but you know, this bipartisan Senate group came up with like nine hundred million billion. billion. Yeah. Uh, you could probably get a trillion dollar stimulus deal, but McConnell is in the way. And all of a sudden. Republicans in the Senate have discovered that the national debt is a real problem. After four years of voting for tax cuts and big spending bills, now that a Democrat's coming into office, all of a sudden, we got to worry again about the national debt. And so this kind of hypocrisy can only be overcome if the president, who could care less about the debt, he's the self-proclaimed king of debt, and if he really wants to run in 2024, shouldn't he want to go out on some kind of, you know, uh, be able to claim I helped you? So I, <clears throat> if, he, yeah, if, he, if he would actually wake up and realize that he's still president, uh, maybe, maybe we could get something done. But my fear is that, you know, he's just checked out. I thought I was going to have to instigate you tonight, but uh, oh, you're going to no. lead the charge tonight. No, I like it. No, it's... <laughs> It's, you know, I'm off, I'm off my tether. Uh, it's, and, and we'll talk about what he's doing to our electoral process. Well, so yeah, let's jump right in. So there's a couple of topics Greg and I want to get to. Um, <clears throat> we, uh, as you can tell, we're very sad that we're going to be leaving you for a couple months, uh, for a couple weeks. Uh, we will return in January. So look out for us then. Uh, but tonight uh, we want to talk about a few things. We want to start with, um, the the transition and how that's going since we chatted last as you if you are a follower of the podcast you will know that i in particular was very concerned uh two weeks ago so we'll talk about that and then we want to talk a little bit about what are the signs coming out of the of the biden administration uh, as uh uh joe biden and kamala harris are are building up their administration team and then uh, we'll talk a little bit on <clears throat> now that I think we are getting past our existential threat of democratic collapse um, and back to our <laughs> second existential threat of uh, a pandemic that we are not responding as well as we would like. But 
Um, let's pick up where we left off last time, which was, you know, I was, Greg and I were going back and forth a little bit last time because I was having a hard time seeing a path where one, Trump admits defeat, um, which uh, has not yet happened for, for clarity's sake. And two, if he was unwilling to admit defeat, how do we even begin a transition or a transition of power? And actually, we're seeing a path that I could, that I, at the time I couldn't imagine, um, which is Trump is still refusing to concede um, the election, admit defeat in this case. There have been a number of recounts that have not come out in his favor. And, <clears throat> um, but he has also signaled to um, at least the GSA that some basic transition um, attempts can begin. So, you know, I was really anxious last time about whether or not uh, Trump would leave the White House and what this means for a peaceful transition of power. And I, I remain concerned, just as we jump into this, that we're not over the hedge of this. We're still purging people from the Pentagon. Trump is still refusing to admit defeat, still claiming it was, it's, uh, the election was stolen, still claiming widespread fraud, despite what the Attorney General Bill Barr is saying today. So I think we're still not, we're not past this, um, but you know, I would cut my probabilities in half at this point if you made me uh, make a new revised estimate. So, you know, you were a little bit more optimistic about this, Greg. Um, where do you find us in this transition process and the current president accepting the results of the election? So the transition process is going to happen. I mean, it's happening now. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's happening. It, it, it <laughs> yeah. got delayed a bit, but it's happening. And Joe Biden's going to become president. Now, those are words that I never thought I'd say. But Joe Biden is going to become president on January 20th. And and the president, the, uh, the current occupant of the White House can foam at the mouth all he wants. Nothing's going to happen to stop that transition. It might be rockier. There might be some Trump uh, uh, appointees who, are, who, who, who resist cooperation. I'm sure that the president is gonna do a number of things and his, and his people are gonna do a number of things to try to make things difficult for Biden because it's, it's pretty clear to me that the president is, at least wants to keep his options open about running in 2024. So he wants Biden to look as bad as possible. He wants to leave Biden with uh, the worst conditions possible. Uh, but it's going to happen. You know, even Mitch McConnell seems to be getting to the point where he might actually admit reality. The Attorney General of the United States, who we worried about, right? Mm -hmm. We worried about him. Yeah. The Attorney General of the United States denied that there was substantial fraud. You know, this transition is going to happen and the president can say whatever he wants. You know, he can say, I'm the legitimate president. Well, guess what? I could say I'm the Prince of Liechtenstein. <laughs> Doesn't mean that anybody's going to listen to me. And yeah. and then we'll get in, you know, we'll, we'll get into the, the longer term dangers to our electoral system of a president fomenting beliefs that the electoral system is fundamentally uh, uh, corrupt. Yeah, well, I have to say I'm 
I'm much more optimistic. Um, I think it's uh, it's clear to me, as you say, that the transition is in is in process, and so I, I think it's you know I don't think we need to dwell on it too much. I, I think it's um, unfolding not as it normally would, but it is unfolding in the direction of reflecting the results of a democratically elected process. So let's go ahead and move on into what this maybe means for the, both the midterm and by midterm, the next kind of election cycle, maybe short term is better for that. Um, and also, you know, what this might mean kind of going forward for America and democracy. So one of the things that I mentioned to you as we were getting ready to record today is that I've encountered a number of people um, that I would have thought knew better about how the election process works, how the court system works, how evidence works, that would say that like, yeah, it's a, it's a bummer that Trump lost to the people who support him. Um, but yeah, we did our thing in America, we voted, and things are really tough right now. And let's hope that Joe Biden is a, is a moderate, right? And all of that makes sense to me. But I've had several conversations that were, um, no, the, the election was clearly rigged, and it was stolen by the Democrats. And um, so, you know, we don't really... Um, the whole country's falling apart. We can't trust anything anymore. And the, the you know, the crazy left-wing liberals have uh, overtaken our democracy and communism is going to spread everywhere. And Joe Biden's going to surrender to the far left six months in and uh, America's doomed. And what I what I'm worried about, and this has been something you know we've talked about, but it, even conditional on this peaceful trans transition, 70 million Americans uh, voted for Donald Trump. 74. 74, okay, 74 million. And as we talked about last time, you know, 80-ish percent expected him to win. And I haven't looked at, very closely at polling data, but my informal survey and my of my you know broad network Any is that seven yeah it's it's not it's not 20% of those people who think the election was stolen it's yeah. somewhere between 50 and 80% and when 50 to 80% of republican voters think that this was um was not a uh, was not a fair election and was not a was was stolen by the democrats you know, I was watching Saturday night. I wasn't watching Saturday Night Live. That's not true. I was reading Twitter. Um, but, you know, Dave Chappelle was on Saturday Night Live a couple weeks ago. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. And Dave Chappelle says, you know, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so excited for the pandemic to be over because do you remember what life was like before the pandemic? A bunch of white people were shooting up, every, you know, mass shootings all the time. And um, that was without a political motive or without a, it's not that those people don't have political motives, they have all kinds of motives that we could talk about, but <clears throat> without a clear organized political motive coming from a former president. And so I do think as we move forward, um, we have, there's gonna be real danger in American society, even once Donald Trump leaves office. 
And um, I don't know what to, what to do about that when people I thought should know better seem to really think that there was widespread fraud. This is the long-term issue, right? The, the short-term issues are done, right? These election results are certified. The electors are gonna be slated. They're gonna vote on the 14th of, of December. And when those ballots are opened in the House of Representatives on January 5th or whenever, they're, they're gonna count them and Joe Biden's gonna become president. That, the short term is done, right? And the, and the effort to corrupt the electoral system, which was pretty farcical in retrospect, was held off by a number of local and state officials and judges who did their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Some of them were oh, impressively so actually. Yes. I must say right. impressively so and and do credit that uh, 2 weeks ago I did, I was not giving them and as we were talking about earlier Georgia is just a really nice example of a republican run state with a, a governor who I, uh, in multiple settings, have um, uh, picked at because of his responses to the coronavirus, because I still, I still think those are egregious. But those egregious responses suggested to me that basically he was a Trump lackey, right? And here we've seen in a very, um, in a fairly clear way that the Georgia Republican establishment is, is rebutting the president and saying, look like we support you, but there was not widespread fraud here. Not all of them. <laughs> not your, all of them. your two Republican <laughs> senators are, you know, called for the Secretary of State's resignation. But the governor who engaged in his own uh, electoral... Uh, can we talk about Purdue and Loeffler, though? I mean, we could really get into Purdue and Loeffler and the ways in which they're using democracy to profit personally in a way oh, that but, is... Yeah at least as egregious and as the things as the most corrupt people coming out of the Trump administration. And so the fact that they're the holdouts maybe isn't surprising because their behaviors have been very uh, atypical of what is expected of a U.S. senator and egregious. No, they both they both used insider knowledge to profit from COVID. So which and during a pandemic is about as uh, unethical of a thing outside of what the president did, which was just uh, the whole uh, kind of uh, array of actions around trying to cover it up and denying and misleading, those aside, uh, profiting off of it is a whole other, is, a, is, a, is an additional level of really just immoral behavior. Yeah. So back to your governor. Uh, <laughs> former, you know, my yeah. personal former. <laughs> well, uh, you're 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 a Georgian. Uh, I still am a Georgian. That's fair. All right, and you can blame me for Joe Biden because I'm a Delaware. <laughs> uh, I, you know, he engaged in all sorts of really questionable activities when he was running for governor and in the Secretary of State's office when he beat Stacey Abrams by that small amount to become the governor of Georgia. So I can understand why your expectations for him were extremely low, but, you know, he rose to the occasion and did what was right and all and, and to a great extent, this was true of so many local officials, people who ran their elections, you know, our elections are a hodgepodge, they're a mess, right, but, but they're run by local people 
who volunteer, in many cases, they're volunteers. In some cases, they're not very well-paid public servants. And, mm, and my mom's one of these people, as I think I mentioned to you. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they did their they did their jobs in a, in a pandemic. We had enormous turnout by our standards, which is like below average turnout for most democracies, but you know, enormous turnout by our standards. And it basically worked. And all these accusations of fraud have come up with no single bit of corroborated evidence, right? And and they've been thrown out by Republican appointed judges all over the country. And so, you know, if that's not good enough, then we're in trouble. And that's the long-term <laughs> issue, right? Yeah. That, you, that you indicated. If if millions of people believe that the electoral system is fundamentally flawed, then our democracy needs, our democracy is sick. You know, this is the combination of that and conspiracy theories. You know, this is the kind of prelude you have to democratic decline. Now we can keep our fingers crossed that we can turn this around. But the the downside of this is, you know, we're gonna have four years of the former president just flaying the next president or the current what will be the current president come January 20th, and and encouraging all sorts of conspiracy theories. Now, in the short term, you know, from my point of view, this might not be such a bad thing because it might keep Trump voters at home in the Georgia runoffs. Maybe we'll see. We will. Uh, we'll see. I mean, Trump's supposed to go down and campaign. Who knows what he's going to say? Uh, but if that helps the Democrats get a 50-50 Senate, okay. But the problem is those short-term gains are at the expense of the long-term reliability and stability of the system and that just is not good uh so yeah i mean i i was i I was in a dark mood thinking about these things uh maybe 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 we're going to switch uh switch parts this week (laughs) but you know i i i i follow american domestic politics as a citizen and as an amateur as an amateur viewer Ah, and as an expert, and as an expert. Not as an expert. My expertise is on international politics. And when I think of America's role in the world, you know, if we, if if our role in the world declines, it's not going to be because anything that happens outside. It's it's going to be because our own domestic politics have become so dysfunctional that we can't act in the world. Greg, I have to go off screen for a moment. You're, you're, You're really disrupting me, so I'm going to have to go off screen for a moment. Okay, you go off screen and I'll talk. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the long term is. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the long term. But that's the, the, the darkness that I take from this is so many people uh, apparently being willing to believe the most egregious kinds of lies and conspiracy theories about American politics and people who know better not forcefully denouncing them. I've given up on Trump and Giuliani's insane, drunk or insane, one of the two, maybe both. Uh, but Mitch McConnell's neither drunk nor insane. And if he's a patriot, he's got to come clean. 
and people like Marco Rubio and Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley and Nikki Haley who want to be president, they should stand because if they're going to get to be president, they don't want people on the other side saying this was a rigged election. They've got to stand up and say something. And maybe they're not going to say it before the Georgia runoffs, and maybe they're not going to say it before January 20th. But while Trump's out there as a private citizen spreading these lies, they've got to stand up. Somebody's got to stand up on that side. You know, the only people who are standing up are people who are has-beens like Mitt Romney or, uh, or, you know, people who don't have greater ambitions like Ben Sass or, or, or like Fred Upton, the congressman from Southwestern Michigan, uh, who, you know, is one of the first Republican elected officials to come on and say, oh, the elections were fine. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the long-term concerns, I think by any kind of sober uh, viewer <laughs> and uh, um, are, are really troubling without clear guidance as to how to fix them um and uh you would have hoped uh, although we, we were expressing optimism earlier about at least acceptance of the results um but some of the language and um that's coming out of some of these leading folks in the republican party not the has-beens as you mentioned um or the ones that are out of office or former former you know retired yeah. generals or however, that are all universally, unanimously condemning the president. Uh, the only people not are these, uh, are these Republicans. Um, and um, it has me, it has me um, not knowing how to, how to handle it as we move forward, because you can imagine that the Republican Party just doesn't back down from this as like a, as a, a talking point, and that Trump is able to kind of continue to capture the party's imagination for lack of word uh, uh for lack of a better way of putting it or agenda and you know i my sense of this has been different from a lot of liberal like a lot of liberals that i know and that i i don't think we um being frustrated with trump voters is not helpful um insisting that we hold people accountable that have tried to deliberately mislead the american public and tear down American democratic norms and basic ability for the governing structure to uh, to respond. Those people need to be held accountable, and um, it's 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 concerning that already um, that, that still people at the at the leadership positions within the Republican Party are not accepting these results, but also some portion of them kind of carrying the tor torch forward, um, kind of your Tom Cotton's arguably. Um, and it'll be, it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how the Republican Party resolves this over yeah. really the next six months, because as Trump leaves office, he's going to demand a voice in, 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 the, in the conversation on the Republican side. And then there's going to be a really, you know, there's going to be the elected officials who have to govern. Um, and what their next moves are will be really, really interesting. Well, the nice thing about being in the Senate, like Cotton and Hawley and some other people who want to be president, is you don't have to govern. Mm -hmm. Cruz, Ted Cruz wants to be president, obviously. 
you don't have to govern. And I just assume that these people are going to continue to mouth the the Trumpist line. But so to me, it's not the, to me, it's not the next six months. It's the next four years. I mean, yeah. the Republican Party in 2024 will make some fundamental decisions about what it wants to be. Uh, you know, one can argue that 2016 was a, an aberration, or one can argue that 2016 was a hostile takeover. Uh, but it's not the party of George H.W. Bush, whose school <laughs> both work in. That's for sure. <laughs> not the Republican yeah. Party that I voted for in many times in my life. Uh, yeah. And so we'll see what we'll see what happens to it. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm I remain um, pessimistic on this particular point. Um, Miss Davis but, says in the in in the chat, she she reflects that the DOJ is investigating the pardon for bribe allegations in the White House, and I do think that that's one of the things that will affect uh, President Trump's standing going forward. I mean, what kind of pardons does he give? Yeah, uh, does he try to pardon himself? I mean, we know. This is in my lifetime, but not yours. That Gerald Ford probably lost the presidential election in 1976 because he pardoned Richard Nixon. Now, one can argue in retrospect that was a statesmanlike thing to do, put this behind us, blah, blah, blah. Or you can argue that was really bad. Nixon should have paid a price for, for, for what he did, for the, the lies he told, right? I think you can make, I, you can make an argument both ways. But if the president pardons himself, <laughs> right, or tries to, that's an admission of that there's something wrong with what he did. And I don't know how that'll go over even with, you know, with his most fanatical followers like Sean Hannity, who called for him to pardon himself yesterday. It's fine. But, you know, people who like Trump but aren't fanatical, they might look at that and go, why did he do that? He told us that he never did anything wrong. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what he does with the pardons going forward. And if you were willing to play a little political jujitsu, you know, if you were Biden's people, you might, you know, say, well, of course we're going to investigate that. Of course we're going to, we'll prosecute whatever. Because I think the, the, the one thing that he could do that would reduce his standing the most right now Obviously, lying about the election doesn't reduce it. I think the one thing he could do is pardon himself. And since I, I have serious doubts that the Biden administration would go after him anyway, just from pure political, uh, you know, uh, prudence, if they if they foxed him into pardoning himself, it could be the beginning of the end of his political of his political life. Yeah, yeah. So going into 2016, and maybe we can talk a, a bit about a, a, a few moments about this, and then um, what we see is shaping up as a potential Biden administration. Yeah. Um, so I thought going into 2016, that this, um, how to put it, this version of conservatism that intermingles and flirts with white supremacy and and um, 
corruption and uh, voter suppression and complete like disregard for market impacts on humans <clears throat> based on their demographics and their support i really thought going into 2016 that that was 2016 was that demographics last stand that if hillary clinton won that that would be like the republican party would have to find a new approach to have enough voters to be successful and that if donald trump won that still the way the demographics were going that that this was really kind of their last stand. And I think that's still true. Um, I think that like the demographics- Keep, keep holding on to that belief. <laughs> how, many, how, many, how many times have we heard Democrats say, well, the demographics are moving our way. Texas is so, gonna turn blue. How'd Georgia- that out? How'd that Georgia, work out on this one? Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> Georgia. Um, so I, I do think that there is a is an argument that um, once this is over, that the strategy of of just being a Trump supporter won't be enough in the in the in the broader system to affect change, and that there's going that that one way of thinking about this is the Republican Party is still going to have to decide whether or not they're going to double down on Trumpism and fascism light, um, authoritarianism, whatever that is, or whether they're going to be conservative in the way that they had been. Uh, a little bit more of tradition around social issues, a little bit less focus on redistribution. And, you know, if those factions can't play together, um, that's going to be a real problem for any na national, nationwide governing coalition. That's all, well, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, E.J. Dion, who's even older than I am and, you know, as blobby as you get, you know, <laughs> had a piece in the Washington Post about how the Republic, the Democrats are a coalitional party and the Republicans are a a united party but you're right maybe they aren't and, and but but what we don't see is the leaders of the factions you know who the leaders of the factions are in the democratic party right mm -hmm. uh and the interest groups in the democratic party and how they're already pushing and pulling a biden transition when are we going to see that in the republican party one of the one of the kind of the, the the Wall Street Republican. Well, a lot of the Wall Street Republicans have already left. Let's face it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, when do the Chamber of Commerce people say to the white supremacist people, "Get out," and the white supremacist people say, "No, you get out," and then they sit down and say, "Well, you got to tone it down, and we'll be a little more popular." You know, I don't know. We. The last time that there was a big purge in the Republican Party, truthfully, was uh, after Joe McCarthy, right? Where people like William F. Buckley, and you can you know like him or dislike him, but he kind of led the intellectual charge to read the John Birchers and the anti-Semites uh, and those kinds of people out of the Republican Party. And it became, you know, th those people were not welcome in the Republican Party anymore. In the same way, 
that, you know, in some states in the United States in the 19, late 1940s and the early 1950s, the Democrats ran the communists out, right? Hubert Humphrey ran the communists out of the Democratic Party in Minnesota, right? We, we forget that after World War, you know, immediately after World War II, communism didn't look so bad, you know? It, it had defeated fascism. Uh, and Hubert Humphrey ran those people out of the Democratic Party. So when are we going to have somebody in the Republican Party run the white supremacists out? Uh, it won't happen in a day, and it won't happen in a week, and it will not happen while Donald Trump retains you know, substantial following. But we'll we'll see. We'll, I mean, <clears throat> who knows? Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting. That's what keeps us all uh, all interesting and right. kind of and, fun to talk and, about. It's <laughs> what makes politics unpredictable. Well, my uh, very safe projection, and stealing completely from um, from Dave Chappelle, is um, is that we're going to have some real problems once society opens back up and fifty million Americans. 60 million Americans think the election was stolen. So let's hope that it's fewer than that. Let's hope it's closer to 20 million, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can, the, the Times or the Post, I forget which, had an article about this. You can say you believe that without actually believing it. That's true. Right? Yeah. Because that, that's what your team expects you to say right now. Yeah. And who knows, six months from now, those numbers might be way, way low. Again, if President Trump does something to discredit himself, like pardoning himself, we'll we'll see, right? Hold on, wait. But, Did you say President Trump does something to discredit himself, and then his following stops? Is that is that is that what you were insinuating that that was a no, possibility, Greg? No, that it that it's reduced. <laughs> and it's reduced. So, look, twenty million. Uh, look, twenty million Americans is still a lot of Americans. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And you don't need that many. I mean, this is the you know. You know this from your studies, I think. You don't need that many in sheer numbers to decide that they're going to take the system down oh, in a no. violent way. It doesn't need, you sure don't need 20 million. You don't need 1 million. You don't need 100,000. <laughs> you, um, you need some guys in the army. Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> Which we haven't seen any of in our country, thank God. Fingers crossed again. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. So, while all this is going on, you know, once I got comfortable thinking the immediate term damage, the immediate term damage, the immediate term risks were lower than I was concerned. What I immediately got back to, and I know we're out of order now, but what I immediately turned back to is the pandemic. And there is some good news here um, to talk about, which is we seem to be making some progress on some vaccines. Um, that are fairly effective and that uh, can be distributed as maybe as early as the end of the the uh, the calendar year. Um, so that's some good news. Um, but when I kind of really tuned back into this, Greg, after being really worried about democracy and um, all of those things, I have to say that like it was all I could do to not be depressed um yeah. because it's actually um today november december 1 is up until the entire time we've been doing it, it's not the deadliest single day because it's it's not the way to think that's not that's not true but it is we're still it's as 
bad as any day that we've had in the entire um, pandemic because of what the daily new numbers are, uh, but also the hospitalization numbers and also the what seems to be the general public's unwillingness to behave in ways that are required of us without, so we're already going to have, I mean, I don't know what your sense of this is, but I'm terrified of post Thanksgiving. The next two weeks are going to be, um, I, I, we're, uh, my, in my close inner circle, we have two coronavirus cases in, in people who are at risk and that we, in, in ways that we had not had before. So, you know, I'm seeing it personally as well. Two, two of my family members have COVID now. And everyone seems to have a, a story like this recently. And that's before Christmas. And you know, Greg, I, like you and I were talking about what we did for Thanksgiving. And it's, it's, it's easier for me because, as you know, I'm not near my family right now. So it's really easy to say, family, I'm not flying to Georgia. Um, family, we're not flying to Texas. So I don't, it's, it, it's not, I don't want it to um, be meant as judgmental. I sort of understand how people are there. Um, I, I, I two weeks ago went into a restaurant for the first time and cried because I think I mentioned this because I was in a restaurant. There was no one else around. It was mostly completely empty. It was 2 p.m. But, you know, I went into a restaurant, which I I don't think people should be doing right now, honestly, with any regularity. Shame Um, on you. Shame Shame on on me. Yeah, yeah. Um, But. I've only gone into restaurants to take out. Yeah, which I do some of as well. And we only did it once. um, And, you know, however, you know, that's just highlighting that even as much as I care about it, even as much as we've been talking about it, you know, I um, found myself in a, in a restaurant once. Um, yeah. And that's with taking it seriously um, and, and, all these, and all these other challenges. We're looking at what, 3,000 deaths a day and 250,000 cases a day as no, bumps? No, no, not 250,000 cases a day, right? It's more like a hundred no, I'm saying coming down the coming down the pipe after the Thanksgiving bump and or Christmas bump. Yeah, yeah right now we're 150. We I think we hit 200 yeah. once. We've been yeah. staying between 150 and 200, around one to 1500, 1, to 1500 deaths a day. So yeah. that's where we are right now. Um, but if we experience a real Thanksgiving bump, followed up with two weeks later a real Christmas bump. We're gonna. I'm really worried that we're gonna just wipe out our our uh, hospitalization, our hospitals' ability to respond. And then, if we reach uh, hospitalization capacity, the, the the knockoff effects, the externalities, the secondary and tertiary effects of hospitals being overwhelmed. Um, I don't well, think in America we know what that. You know, we really have an understanding of what that could look like. Oh no, we do. New York, New York yeah. in March in early April with refrigerator trucks outside of hospitals to put the dead bodies in because the morgues are too full. No, we we know what that looks like and it's horrible. We were, you know, us in Texas, Mm -hmm. we kind of actually, you know, felt a little superior to New Yorkers right at the beginning of this. But New, New Yorkers, and my sister is a resident of the city, one of my sisters, uh, they know what that looks like. You know, there were no, the, the city was closed down. My sister said the only sound you could hear were ambulances. 
and and there were refrigerator trucks by the hospitals because they didn't have enough room for the dead bodies. This is not it's not pretty, and you're absolutely right. Would this could happen to us? Thank God we have a better sense of how to deal with our medical professionals have a better sense of how to deal with the disease. They made a lot of mistakes. Of course, they had to make. I mean, there was no playbook, right? But they learned, and this is you know, medicine is not a theoretical science. It's a practical science. You <laughs> yeah. learn, right? And and and. So our mortality rate is down, thank God, but our cases, you're right, they're, they're going up. And it'd be so easy to blame Trump for this because I love blaming Trump for everything. You know, <laughs> I, get, I get in traffic on the way. He home makes it so easy, though. I say, he makes it so easy. damn Trump, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and, but, you know, we should be past waiting for good uh, guidance from our leadership. Everybody knows what to do. Everybody knows what to stay do. Home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stay home. Unless, you know, stay home. Don't congregate with other people in, in indoor settings like restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, wear a mask mm -hmm. when you're out. We, we know what to do and we choose not to do it. It's on us. This is on us as a, as a people. And, and, you know, we, we're a democracy. We get what we deserve. <laughs> We do. I mean, we at least we, in some degree. We get we get what we deserve. There are there are externalities for groups of individuals' behaviors for the rest of us. True, true. But, yeah, but I'll yes, tell you. In general, you're I'll, right. I'll tell you. I, I, this should start at home, right? And and home for us is Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. And we're putting together. We the university are putting together numerous December graduation ceremonies. This is irresponsible. We should not be doing this. And the idea that, oh, well, you know, graduation is so special and we'll space people out and all, it's still gonna be hundreds if not thousands of people in an enclosed space. And it's just irresponsible given the number of cases that we have here in Texas, given the number of cases, the growth of cases in the Brazos Valley. I got the email, you know, usually I have to go to these graduation ceremonies because I'm a department head. Uh, and I said, I'm sorry, this is not, I'll teach, I will teach a face-to-face -face class next semester because that's part of our core mission. But I am not going to go into Reed Arena with thousands of other people. Just not going to do it. That's not part of our core mission. And I've, you know, the sacrifices that I've made, uh, I'm not going to put myself at risk for something that is so marginal. And, and it's just unbelievable that we're going to have indoor graduation ceremonies this month. I, I, I can't believe how irresponsible it is. Well, we have one more comment from the audience. I'm going to withhold commenting on that for just a moment to keep my calm about me as well. But uh, they highlight another example after our New York City one of uh, El Paso, where apparently uh, convicts and uh, prisoners were hired to carry the dead bodies into the mobile morgues which was not a story I was aware of, um, yeah. but uh, fits in with the general narrative. Um, yeah, I, you know, and maybe that's a good place to kind of uh, come back to settle on. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the, the Biden administration, but we got, we will have plenty of time to do that in the spring, I think. And then yeah, early January. I think, I think the bottom line so far is it's Obama three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, which could be worse. Um, could be worse. I, I guess it depends on who you talk to, but could be could be worse. Could, uh, be, could worse. be Donald Trump again, um, which would be noticeably worse. Um, but, but yeah, I, you know, to your comments earlier about what are the long-term consequences for Donald Trump's behavior and how it's affected our democratic norms uh, and how it's affected our institutions, I think this is another example uh, of us watching it play out right at home. There are other incentives here for why our university is behaving the way it does. But if there was uniform agreement from the national government and uniform agreement from the governors trying to all problem solve that we should follow basic scientific advice and everyone should be wearing masks and we shouldn't be playing football and we shouldn't be gathering together in large spaces and it had not been politicized, we would not be putting our faculty and students at the, and, their, and their loved ones and their extended loved ones by contact in the mortal danger that we're putting in them. We would not have been in class. It was, I, you know, I argued this, as you know, um, to our school that it was irresponsible. And I, I haven't changed my mind. Yeah. It was irresponsible for us to have students coming to class when we had easier other options. It's not ideal. And there are a lot of reasons why some undergrads need to be around. And it doesn't mean that one blanket shut it all down makes sense. But our Bush School students um, could have made through while attending pretty much everything online and our the formats that we have capable for them. And as you say, I mean, the evidence that's accumulating around the transmissibility <laughs> the transmission rate with indoor large groups should suggest to our university that this is um, irresponsible. Yeah. And, and now, the long-term consequences of this to our reputation as an institution that people can look to and respect in times of emergencies, I think are we're really underweighting how much harm this can do to our reputation in the battles to come. That, that parents can be safe, can, can be, can, feel safe sending their 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 18 year old sons and daughters to yeah yeah so so look i i've become a convert to the idea that we should keep elementary schools open yeah that makes sense to me i i, yeah. I, I you know build That's a class. so different than what we're talking about with graduate students yeah i i haven't seen the science on classroom transmission now i'm not saying that we should have 300 person classes uh, but I'm going to teach face to face in the spring because uh, I I can't I can't make people do things I'm not willing to do myself. So I'm going to teach face to face. If we're all wearing masks and we're all spread out, I, I'm willing to take that risk. Uh, and I, I I do think that it's 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 bizarre that bars and restaurants are open and elementary schools are closed in so many places in the country. That just seems reversed to me it's only right. bizarre depending on your uh, <laughs> your well, understanding of why institutions do the things they do <laughs> but yeah. it's not logical or rational and, I'm, and i've got nothing against bars and restaurants i love them me yeah join the club I, I, yeah. I, yeah you and i you and i called this <laughs> podcast bush school uncorked for a reason yeah uh, yeah exactly and, and you know my last honest job was <laughs> was tending bar mine so too mine it's, too. it's 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 not like I dislike these places. It's just, you know, and I, I think that we should support, you know, the federal and state governments should support these industries because we should make them close down. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, that fight's over, Justin. We lost. Oh, we lost. Yeah, I, we yeah. lost that. We lost. The, fight, yeah. the fight's over. You're right. The fight's over. I mean, I I agree. I don't see any. We got some interesting things going on in the university um, with uh, what's going to be a what seems to be a pretty serious change of leadership in the spring and then again in the fall. So there are going to be some interesting things playing out here at, at home at Texas A&M. Um, but I don't expect, uh, and I think the emails to us from the new leadership suggest as much, I don't expect there to be major changes in policy in the spring um, as part of the transition. No, there, there's not. <laughs> I'm just I'm just hoping that somebody in a position of authority, maybe the governor, says, look, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of people in the same building, a covered indoor gathering, that that's irresponsible, Texas AM, don't do it. I I I hope somebody says that down the line. We've got about we've got about 10 days. Right, the first graduation, I think, is December tenth. So we got fair. nine days now. I hope somebody stands up and says, "You know, we just shouldn't do this." Somebody in authority. Well, yeah, we've been yelling it. Nobody, nobody's listening to me though. Yeah, yeah. I, look, you and I, you and I are not going to get graduation. Rescheduled postponed. or uh, postponed. Uh, yeah. yeah, I had no influence on the football season, no influence on students coming back, no influence no. on graduation. But no. I'm going to, one of the nice things about not having the influence is then I can just yell, uh, which is what I get to do sometimes. <laughs> um, so I think uh, we should wind down, Greg. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, we're going to take a break. Um, Greg and I have not uh, picked out our schedule for the spring uh, or January yet, but my hope, uh, our hope is to come to you before inauguration and yeah. before the semester starts, maybe about the week of the 15th. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably start the uh, season ch just checking in with you like we've done this evening. And uh, then we'll go back to having some some guests so that you get a break from just Greg and I bloviating about the things we find interesting. Giving us our, giving you our hot takes. But if people have, if people have ideas, send them to us, email Email Justin. Don't email me. Email Justin. <laughs> and, and, this is and, what we need a Twitter handle for, so I can say no, no. Tweet and Mamuno can take care of it. Mamuno, tweet it at Mamuno, and then he can take care of, <laughs> of responding. Twitter. What's that? I, I have no idea what you're talking. Uh, you're about. missing out. Um, you're missing out. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Uh, <laughs> but no, if if people have ideas about what they'd like to hear about, or people that they'd like to have on the on the on the pod, let us know. Yeah, please do. Yeah, reach out. You can reach out to Greg or I. Our emails are publicly searchable through the Texas we're all, website. We're all over the internet. <laughs> you can find us. We're not hiding. Um, and yeah, uh, with that in mind, uh, thanks again to uh, the Bush School um, for sponsoring us. Thanks to Stowcroft Institute. Thanks to uh, Greg, to your department, uh, to Dr. Taylor for the SA department funds. Um, it is, uh, uh, while we do take quite liberty with the freedom that's given to us um, to say what we think about things, uh, we are very grateful for the funding and the opportunity to represent the Bush School and, uh, and our fellow experts here. Um, thanks for continuing to follow along. 
Go ahead, Greg. Although, although we should say that nothing we say is necessarily representative of the official position of the Bush School, oh, Texas A&M University. These yeah, are personal opinions. These are definitely my strongly held, very well-informed opinions that uh, the Bush School or Texas A&M can take or leave. They yeah. keep paying me to be an expert in these things, so it's hey. up to them whether they take it or leave it. <laughs> hey, you got tenure. What's I did tenure get tenure. For? They gave it to me. What's tenure uh, for except to, to be able to talk about stuff? Exactly. So ha yeah. Happy holidays to everybody. Happy holidays. Enjoy. I hope everyone gets a little bit of break. And uh, you will be uh, as much of a cliche as it has become, unfortunately. Uh, you will all be on our thoughts and prayers over the breaks uh, as, we, uh, as we step away for a few weeks. And we promise to bring you fun, funny and uh, informative information again in the spring. Thanks, everyone. Bye -bye. Thanks, Greg.